And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's day nine of the Qatar World Cup, the morning after a dramatic quartet of games where the main event saw Spain and Germany draw 1-1, and that keeps the German hopes alive. We'll also wrap up the rest of the games. We'll be hearing from England forward Marcus Rashford. Should he get the nod ahead of Harry Kane against Wales? I'm Adam Leventhal, and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. Musiala, full crook. Now Germany's substitute has done it. One centre forward at one end, and full crook at the other. I'm joined once again poolside by the athletics jack pitt brook and ollie Kay, both of whom who were at games uh, yesterday which delivered shocks jack you saw costa rica grab a vital win against the odds against japan it sort of kick-started a day where it looked as if there was going to be a cascade of shocks didn't it yeah well the um my game was really awful at the start but got better and better <laughs> as it went on which yeah. hopefully will be a kind of uh well, the world cup itself will follow the same pattern and then Ollie, you were at um, Belgium against Morocco. And I suppose if anyone had watched Belgium against Canada in the first game, maybe that wasn't necessarily a big shock to see Morocco win. Yeah, and, and, and if people had seen Morocco as well, Morocco looked, yeah. looked lively in that first game and um, you know, got a decent point against Croatia, but the, you know, they, they, they performed very well against um, Belgium, who just looked completely off the pace. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I think it was a deserved victory for Morocco and it puts Belgium under a lot of pressure going to that final game. Indeed it does. We'll have much more on those two um, games a little bit later on. I was at Croatia against Canada, which for a long while looked as though it was going to be another surprise on the cards. But the, uh, the message really is, don't f*** with Croatia. Um, and uh, we'll explain a little bit more on that a little bit later on, because uh, they got their way. John Herdman didn't. Uh, Abby Patterson was at the main event, Spain against Germany, the final game of the day. And afterwards, she caught up with our athletic journalists who were gathered at the game. It's full time here at the Albite Stadium. Spain won, Germany won. And just before he rushes off to the mix zone to find out what Germany make of it, Rafa Honigstein, please give us your thoughts on that result. Mind the gap, Abby, mind the gap. Niklas Füllkrug's nickname is Lücke the Gap. And he saved Germany from falling into a gap of getting knocked out or perhaps not even having their own destiny in their hand needing Japan's help now they can qualify with a win against Costa Rica and that goal the context when it came how it came was just absolutely enormous for a guy who's got very limited experience at this level good time to announce himself the subs have done very well for Germany tonight um, I'm gonna let you go down to the mix zone find out more and we're gonna catch up after you found out what the Germans think of it all also here in the press box, I've come across Michael Cox. And Michael, you've thoroughly enjoyed that match. 
Yeah, I did. To me, it felt completely different from everything we've seen so far in this tournament. I thought a good technical level, um, kind of progression in the game in terms of it opening out and subs coming on and making a difference. It just felt, to me, like the kind of game you could get in a semi-final. And you wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Germany now go through and maybe they did meet later on in the competition. I remember seeing a, a, a message from you on our, our uh, internal comms about uh, you wanted to see Sane at half-time. You eventually did see Sane and he really did prove a big difference uh, for, for Germany. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought both sides could do with a, a bit more running in behind. I think particularly Germany. Um, but it was Spain who went first and uh, Morata made the difference the last knockout game he played when he came on against Italy at Wembley in the Euros last year scored the uh, the equaliser there and scored the opener here with a type of run I don't think Asensio would have made um, and of course Germany made subs as well I mean with five subs these days you can really load up on attackers um, so yeah I think credit to both managers they both made the right changes they both increased the attacking threat and by the end I thought the game felt very different at the end it was more end to end there was more running in behind there was more space um, yeah, it was a really good game, I thought. Do you think we've seen the two group, the progressors from this group tonight? I think we probably have. I mean, Germany really coming back from the from the dead, really. Um, but yeah, I think you would fancy them to win their last game against Costa Rica. It's been a weird group. Costa Rica beat Japan, Japan beat Germany, and yet you think Germany will beat uh, Costa Rica. So it's a very strange one. But I think on the basis of what we've seen so far, uh, Spain clearly the best team in the, in the group so-called group of death uh, strikes again uh, thank you very much Michael I'll leave you to write your piece and I am going to head down into the bowels of the stadium to find Rafa Honigstein once more all right just out of the mix zone it's Rafa Honigstein and Rafa what is the mood among the German players uh, relief um, a slight sense of victory because of the late goal it feels better than the draw it was just saying that maybe we could have done a bit more but I think on the whole the draw seems about the right result and it gives them still the opportunity to progress which something that looked far away I think before both games kicked off today in the group today. We talked a lot about the subs and how they made an impact on the game with Michael Cox. Um, one such was obviously uh, Fulkrug who I believe you're going to be writing about. Absolutely, I uh, got a chance to speak to him, really nice guy. Didn't see overly excited because he said it's great to score but unless we progress and we score a few more goals, it's not really that important for me. I'm not going to be making any leaps of joy at this point. Finally, tonight kind of felt like a we're seeing the future of football on the Spanish side. We have Pedri and Gavi, and then with Germany, uh, with the standout player was Musiala. He's just ridiculously good. I mean, it's just a joy watching him. At times, he reminds me a little bit of Sidan, the way he just controls balls, picks him up out of the air, and just it's all one move, it's all in the flow. It's just a joy to watch him. And if only somebody did an exclusive with him that we could read on, a, on an online platform somewhere, I'd be really happy to pay a lot of money for that personally. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where you would find one of those things. Maybe go to The Athletic, see what happens. Uh, Rafa, thank you very much. Thank you for climbing those flights of stairs whilst we were walking and talking there. You weren't the only person, though, in the mix zone as David Ornstein managed to catch up with Ilkay Gundogan and they uh, discussed uh, the uh, protests, or lack thereof, uh, at the start of this match. Can I ask why um, he did the, the squad did the sort of protest before the match across the mouth for the first game, but not for this game? Well, uh, we, we had a few players, you know, who are who are mad with the FIFA, you know, um, because um, obviously there were things planned, you know, 
um, from the team. Um, and then I think um, just getting this allowed, um, you know, just before the game, um, a few players were disappointed, you know, and frustrated and wanted to show um, something. We had uh, the discussion in the team. At the end, uh, it got decided that uh, we'll, we'll do this. Uh, I don't know how you call it, to be honest. Uh, the, the, the we, just gesture, yeah. yeah. Um, against FIFA, you know. Um, and obviously, um, if you do it, if you do something, you do it as a team. So that was Ilkay Gundogan explaining the Germans' decision not to protest ahead of kickoff against Spain. And, and on that issue, Jack, just very briefly, when we look at the tournament, we looked at how we expected the narrative to go. We thought, you know what, when the football takes over, everyone will start to forget about the political issues off the, off the field. And it's, it's quite interesting to hear players almost vocalising that and, and accepting that, look, come on, we're, we're trying to get our heads on the game. You can't keep on asking us about this. Yeah, even people, even managers and players and teams who have made a big thing about yeah. talking about politics over the last yeah. year or so. So Casper uh, Hulmund, uh, Gareth Southgate and now the German team have all in the last few days been, I think, quite explicit and say, look, we're here, to, we're here for the World Cup for football reasons and we only want to talk about football from now on. You know, Southgate said that almost explicitly after the Iran game. I think he said something like, uh, every coach deserves the right to just talk about football if they want to, which I know, you know, lots of people were felt quite let down by that. But I, I understand why managers would want to say that in this, in this context. You know, they've only got so, there's only so much energy. I think the way Southgate put it the other day was, he's only got so much bandwidth. You know, mm. preparing a team for a, in a World Cup is really hard. Uh, he doesn't feel like he has the bandwidth to do that and, you know, to talk as much as people would like about politics too. And then ultimately, that's what FIFA would like. That's what Qatar would ultimately have wanted. And we sort of, we're in a, in a difficult situation. Everyone's sort of backed into a corner where everyone has to sort of focus on the football and you're not getting anything back from the players or the managers. Yeah, um, I think it's, I mean, Gianni Infantino said before the tournament, didn't he, he wrote to the, all the FAs or football associations saying, um, you know, let's, let's focus on the football. This is, this is what we want this World Cup to be about. Yeah. I think the coverage and the scrutiny that we've given as a media, collective media, across international media, have given to the off-the-field issues, the political issues, um, uh, human rights issues, has been important and necessary, and I think that will continue through the tournament and uh, beyond the tournament. In what, you know, when we talk about legacy and whether things have been followed through, but by by Qatar, whether they've been followed through by FIFA, but. It does feel as if, uh, I don't know whether another letter has gone out, but it does feel as if um, um, amongst the players and the coaches that there's really a desire now to stick to football and, and not be asked the same questions before each, each game, which is, um, I think, inevitable. Doesn't mean we can't still ask them. No, absolutely. And I think the questions, especially from uh, our own organisation, The Athletic, you know, we've almost made a vow to continue yeah. what, whatever. Um, onto the football, Jack. It was interesting seeing two subs make an impact. One a familiar name to an English audience in particular, Alvaro Morata, but then one who probably wasn't that familiar, Nicholas Fulkrug. But in maybe a familiar sort of <laughs> sense to English fans, 
get it in the mixer, give it to the big lad. And he came up trumps. It's, it's a nice story for this World Cup, isn't it? It's an amazing story. I think I might be obsessed with Nicholas Fulkrug <laughs> already. I feel like this tournament needed someone like him. Yeah. I think that football fat for too long, uh, we've relied on the generation of Giroud, Aidan Dzeko, Mitrovic, Chris Woods. And now we've got a new big king, uh, a new big centre forward to get it launched towards, to uh, you know win the header, bully centre backs. I thought his goal yesterday was fantastic. He's been scoring lots of goals with Werder Bremen. Doesn't have much of a record in Bundesliga. He scored most of his goals in the Zweite Bundesliga, the German second tier. But I, um, you know, for a team, so for so much of the last sort of 10, 12 years, you've watched Germany play, and they played this amazingly like kind of futuristic brand of football and they're so you know a lot of the time they haven't had a proper center forward and they've the way they, they, they play so hard at the pitch under Hansi Flick and they move the ball so well and everything and now they seem to have moved about 40 years back in time it's amazing I love watching it you've got a striking t-shirt on and I'm expecting uh, later on in the tournament to have a t-shirt that you're wearing that just simply says Nicholas, Nicholas Fulcrook. If, if someone can bring me one I will wear it <laughs> I will wear it on a podcast or a live show <laughs> the game that changed the dynamic of that Germany-Spain game in Group E was Costa Rica beating Japan. Japan had obviously beaten uh, Germany in their first game. That was the game that you were at, Jack. Um, what's your verdict on, on the goal that won it? Was, it? was it a great goal or was it basically just a, an error by Shuichi Konda? Uh, I think it was bad keeping. I think it wasn't. I think it took a slight deflection, I think, off my Yoshida, but it was, for some reason, the keeper seemed to get kind of sucked underneath the ball. And then he, he, he then, somebody said he jumped too early and the ball, he was kind of coming back down to earth and the ball sailed over his head. So, yeah, I thought it was really, really bad keeping. Um, it, was a, it was a strange game because it w the stakes were so high for Japan. Like, if Japan had won, Japan would have been on six points, at which point it's really, really difficult for Germany to qualify. And Japan would have looked like going through to the last 16. And yet, they played the first half as if it didn't matter at all. They played the first half, they were playing a 4-4-2 system. And they just walked through it. And they Do you think it's... And this is... I was going to ask you about this. It's funny that you mentioned it. Is it, is it down to these kickoff times? Is it down to the fact that it's absolutely swelteringly hot? I, I arrived at the media centre around about kickoff time yesterday. And we were walking through an unshaded area and it was it was unbearable i couldn't imagine trying to play football i mean i'm not a, a honed athlete in any stretch of the imagination more, more but, honed than me well but. but you know i just think it, it must be tempting to say look lads let's just see if we can just tick along here a little bit because it is it is awfully hot yeah i think <laughs> said the englishman i think you're probably right i think the heat is the heat is a factor that said if you, if you play in J-League, you're going to be playing in a lot of heat and humidity all the time. Yeah. So I think the play, you know, I, I've spoken to people who, who work in Japanese football from England recently, and they've, and they've made this point very strongly that it's, you know, it takes a lot of adjustment to going to games in 30 plus degrees and high humidity. So maybe, um, I, I don't know, I just felt like they had a bit of a mental block in that first half. Like they weren't, they didn't raise their game to the obvious stakes of the occasion. And it was only really, they actually did exactly what they did in the Germany game, which is first half, 4-4-2 rubbish. Second half, back tactical change, back three, much better. In the Germany game, they managed to turn it around, win 2-1. This time, they created a few chances, but not really enough and not enough to win the game.
And, and, and they've blown it now because now they're relying on Germany beating, sorry, Germany failing to beat Costa Rica in the third game for Japan to have a chance of going through. Um, just to mark your card in Group E, uh, it's similar to the situation in Group B with, with England, with all four sides still able to progress. Spain sitting top on four points. Both Japan and Costa Rica have three, with Germany just the one point. But as we've mentioned, the Germans are playing Costa Rica and Spain taking on Japan. A German win coupled with Spain beating Japan would be enough for Hansi Flick's side to progress. Witzel didn't take it. Ziesch! Oh, what a finish! And it is finished! Zakaria Abkulal! Moroccan mayhem! Belgium nil, Morocco two. That was the game that you were at, Ollie, and your piece off the back of it is entitled Kevin De Bruyne is right, Belgium are too old. And it's interesting, you, you paint the picture of basically a lot of Belgian players after the game looking like empty pillowcases, just <laughs> sort of wafting around going, yeah, oh God. Just deep down they know he was right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Jan Vertonghen, Jan Vertonghen was speaking pitch side and to the to the um, host broadcasters, and he he was saying how there were things going on in his head he didn't want to say, um, and then he sort of made some sarcastic joke about you know maybe maybe the you know maybe the the forward players are too old because it was you know I think he he and uh, Alderweireld probably took it fairly personally. Um, um, being being two of the old men of the team, um, what, what, what De Bruyne has said, but you know, the whole team, never mind just the centre backs, the whole team just looked, um, it looked stale yesterday. It looked stale in the first game against Canada, to be honest. That you know, that they they were poor in that game. For people who've who've missed it, just explain the context of of Kevin De Bruyne's interview and the fact that it sort of. It dropped in the tournament, but he probably did it quite a few weeks in advance, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did an interview with The Guardian, uh, Simon Hattonstone at The Guardian, who's an um, excellent interviewer and a Manchester City fan, as he, he was saying in the, um, in, in, the, um, in, in the interview. And he, uh, De Bruyne had allowed him into his home and did this, wanted to do this interview, sort of almost like a lifestyle type interview. Um, and he didn't say an awful lot in the, in the interview. Except for this one, um, what, what, one, one line, um, you know, football-wise, what, this, this one line about um, Belgium, and he was clearly asked, you know, can, can Belgium win it? Can this be the time? And he, he you know, when they really deliver this, this, this generation of talented players, can they win the World Cup? And he said something like, no chance. You know, we're too old. 2018 was our chance. You know, we've had, you know, we. we We've had very good players who've moved on since then, and, and, and other players who aren't at their best. And that's, that's refreshing honesty, isn't it? Well, it is refreshing honesty. I, I, I agree with every word he said. Not but very motivation. Whether it's it? helpful, <laughs> yeah. Whether it's helpful. I mean, you, if, if you asked to play that in a press conference, you'd be surprised <laughs> if they said yes. And yet, Eden Hazard was asked about it, um, and, and, and said something very similar before this match. And I think he would be one of those that people would say is is not at the same level as four years ago. Um, but I don't think many of them are. I think Courtois is one of, one of the few, along with De Bruyne, who is at the same level or maybe even a higher level than four years ago. But he had a 
the, the two of them had a terrible afternoon yesterday, as did pretty much everybody else in a Belgium shirt. So it's um, very worrying times for them. Now, the other game in that group was Croatia against Canada. It was a game that I was at uh, yesterday at the Khalifa Stadium. And it was basically an unexpected grudge match because of what John Herdman, the Canada manager, had said prior to the game. He'd ultimately said after that defeat against Belgium, uh, an unfortunate defeat, we're going to go into the Croatia game and we're going to F them. And that got picked up. The Croatians heard it, pinned it to their dressing room wall. And Andre Kramaric, who scored two goals in the 4-1 win for Croatia, said, I would like to thank the Canada coach for the motivation. In the end, Croatia demonstrated who f***ed whom, which I think is, it's nice to see these things play out like this sometimes, isn't it? I think this is probably going to be the funniest controversy of this World Cup. (laughs) Uh, There's something very, like, there's something hilarious about an an unguarded managerial comment like that is very funny. And the other side taking it very personally and very seriously is also funny. And then for the, uh, there was kind of no non-funny outcome to this game. If Canada won, it would have been hilarious because Herdman would have been proven right. As it happens, it's been thrown back in his face by the Croatians. And that is also very funny. So uh, like, this is actually quite an entertaining game. But this whole subplot I enjoyed immensely. Also, uh, our colleague Josh Cloak wrote a really good preview of this yes. where he went to the Croatia press conference last the other day and asked Ivan Perisic and Croatia manager Zlatko Dalic about this and got very serious answers from them so yeah i enjoyed reading that as well if you want a bit of background to this whole thing just to wrap up what's going on in that group if you've missed it canada obviously unfortunately for them and unfortunately for the exquisitely dressed josh cloak um who we will post a picture on our on our channels of of what he does wear what he is wearing i'm not going to spoil the surprise um at this tournament but unfortunately they are out of the tournament Both Croatia and Morocco are on four points each with Belgium on three. And then Belgium take on Croatia in their last game with the Red Devils needing an unlikely win and Morocco face Canada. Both matches at six o'clock local time. That's three o'clock back at home. And then the other games in the other group will be 10 o'clock kickoffs, seven o'clock at home. If you followed all of that, you're a better person than I am. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's focus on England now, and we're going to hear from Marcus Rashford. That nil-nil draw with the USA leaves England top of Group B, heading into the final game against Wales. Rashford came off the bench to score in the first game, that 6-2 win against Iran, and he's ready to seize the opportunity should Harry Kane be rested. There's Kane, and this is Rashford's first touch. There's the second, there's the next. What an introduction. Marcus Rashford's first goal at a major tournament. It took him all of three touches of the ball. England's lead is back to four goals strong. I think everyone's ready, you know, and I'm raring to go. Training's, training's been good for the lads that haven't been getting as, as many minutes. Um, but, you know, I feel like for this squad it's never really been an issue, um, especially since, you know, Gareth's been, been managing. Um, you know, maybe before it was a little bit of an issue um, in terms of quality of training um, and people's... Uh, dedication to, to training but you know since he's since he's been manager of England it's it's been good it's been intense um, it's been challenging and yeah like you say I feel like you know me included everyone's ready to to do the bit when they come onto the pitch and if they get an opportunity to step up. Jack if I can come to you on this topic of what Gareth Southgate might do in this game do, do you think there's a genuine chance that Rashford could start ahead of Harry Kane. I mean, there's still there's still plenty riding on the game, or there's enough riding on the game. Yeah, I think there's enough riding on the game that Southgate won't make the sort of wholesale changes that he might have done otherwise. So I'm sure you remember four years ago, England won their first two games. They played Belgium in the third game. Southgate made eight changes, basically because he wanted to make sure that everybody in the squad had got a run out over the course of the group stages just for the purposes of squad management as he put it he just want, he wants everyone to feel included in a big part of what England are trying to do um, I don't think they're going to do that this time because of course England are not fully through yet they need to avoid a bad defeat 
against Wales. I think it, maybe he thinks it wouldn't send quite the right message this time, given it is, it is a competitive game. I'd probably expect a few changes, though. I mean, I'm sure, I imagine Carl Walker will come in. He hasn't played yet. I imagine that um, Southgate intimated afterwards that maybe Bellingham will be rested this time. I'm sure that Foden or Grealish will come on, probably on the left, probably for Sterling, uh, possibly for Saka. So I'd, I guess I'd say three or four changes, but he won't be changing the whole team, I don't think. Ollie, do you think that Gareth Southgate will sort of be half playing to the crowd a little bit if he does include Foden? Obviously, there's been that clamour to get him in the side. Um, but also, it does actually give him a genuine opportunity to, to give someone that chance for them to almost grab the ball by the horns and then make it an easy decision should they get to the, the round of 16. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I, I expect Foden to, to start and I, and I would like to see Foden start. But not simply because the performance on Friday against the US wasn't good enough. I think if you look at the, the first game against Iran, I think Sterling grasped his chance then. I think um, Mount grasped his chance. Saka certainly grasped his chance. And so the first, I think people are forgetting when, when people are saying things have got to change, I think they're forgetting how good the first performance was. I don't think many teams have produced two really good back-to-back -back performances at this World Cup. I would like to see Foden and maybe one or two others given the chance and, 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 and given the chance to, to prove themselves and, and also get some minutes on the clock and um, build up a bit of rhythm. But I, I don't see the need for the, the kind of wholesale changes that um, some people are looking for or are expecting or demanding. I, I think it's... I think it's it's a strange situation with the with the schedule really where there's the, this will be the third game in nine days and then there's a fairly long break before the the round of sixteen assuming England get there um, and then a bigger break or or similar sized break um, I think it's eleven days in total between what would be this game and 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 a quarter final so from this intense schedule you've got you know games that which are much more spaced out and I think that well I, I think Southgate and his staff will well and every coach and their staff will will have to be much more weighing up that and thinking about rhythm as well as just sort of the idea of changing the whole team because you've got a game three days later it, it's not like that now Jack on Foden in particular do you think it's incumbent on Gareth Southgate to ensure that you have one of England's best young talents in that side come what may I don't know I go back and forth on this question all the time uh, I think I mean part of me thinks he's so good you have to get him in the team I think he's probably England's second best player he's England's technically best player he's England's most gifted player of his generation at the same time he's never really played well he's never played that well for England you know he's played in lots of different positions for England he's played I've seen him play on the left on the right number 10 deep midfield and you know sometimes he's played well but he's never played well in a big game for England so in a sense it's a bit like the Trent Alexander-Arnold debate like the Alexander-Arnold debate seems to rest on can this is this player so good that you can ignore the fact he's not really played well for England before and just force him into the side anyway out of respect of his talent um so I think those two situations are I think ultimately those situations are quite comparable um and maybe I come down probably on Southgate's side on this and think it doesn't really make sense to, or it doesn't make sense to, to think that there's an obligation to play a player during a World Cup who's never played that well for England before, even though 
you know, take a step back. And it's obvious that in a broader sense, Foden ought to be in the England team permanently. And maybe this is something that Southgate can address afterwards. At the same time, this is a failing of Southgate. You know, Foden made his debut years ago. And Southgate doesn't, Southgate hasn't worked a system that works for Foden. Like he hasn't found a position or role for Foden that gets the best out of him. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately that is Southgate's job. So I think if you, and so if you give Southgate permission not to play Foden because Foden hasn't played well for England, you're kind of allowing Southgate to get himself off the hook. So, which is a long way of saying, I don't really know, but I think <laughs> that, um, I think it's a really difficult situation. And, but I, I'm not expecting him to set the World Cup alight quite in the way that he probably should. I, I, I was watching the, the game on Friday night against the US, and I, I, I was, I mean, my, I, I love Foden as a, as a player. I, I always have him in my, or, or have always previously had him in my sort of suggested preferred starting 11 for, for pretty much every game over the last two or three years. Um, but when I was watching that game, on Friday night, and I was, you know, people were clamouring online. You know, where's Foden? Why isn't Foden on? Um, and I was thinking, if you put him on in this game, I don't think he's going to make the difference because it's not. It just isn't the kind of game where he will be on the ball a lot, because England just aren't controlling it. Yeah, the tempo it, wasn't right. It's was not it? like you know, Man City are sort of toiling one, you know, being held one-one, but having ninety percent possession at home to Crystal Palace or whoever. And, and he comes on and, 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 you know, gives them yet another dimension. It would be a, you know, I felt that Liverpool, uh, Liverpool, I felt like England needed to get a foothold in the game and really start controlling it before they could think of bringing Foden on and then it might have made a difference. Um, so maybe with sort of five, ten minutes to go, I was thinking get Foden on, but I, I could see why Southgate would look at it and think Foden isn't the person for this exact phase of the game this debate will continue um, throughout the tournament it's certainly going to continue after we've finished recording I'm sure um, but the most important thing is and we haven't even mentioned Wales part of this equation yet they obviously need to beat England and hope for a draw between the United States and Iran but if the USA and Iran is not a draw Wales have to beat England by four goals to advance so that is unlikely but it is still possible that they can advance, and that's that's not to be underestimated, especially because it is Wales against England, Ollie. Well, what, Wales, I think I, th- I think that they looked like they were on the floor after that game against um, Iran the other day. But you know, if, if there's anything that can pick them up, it's got to be a, a sort of do-or-die final group game against um, uh, against England. I mean, it's a great, you know, that there could be no better incentive from their point of view. I felt looking at Wales a little bit similar to what we were talking about earlier with with Belgium, where the the world class or top class players in that team, by which you're probably just talking really about Bale and and Ramsey um, and Bale in particular, are not at the level they were in 2016 and and 2018. It does feel like a a tournament too far. I mean, they, you know, they they didn't qualify for. The 2018 World Cup, which was a real shame, because I think they could have made an impact at that tournament. Did okay at the Euros, but this, you know, 18 months on, it doesn't look like they're in a in a great place. Um, so it's it, it's tough for them. I think they'll be. I think I think they would. Yeah, I I think it's really tough for them. But they they 
they've got to go for it. They, they've absolutely got to go for it. And so if they can, if they can frustrate England and, and, and go into the go into the final stages, either leading or, or you know level pegging, um, and if USA and, and Iran are drawing and there's a chance that Wales are just sort of one goal away or whatever. I mean, they would absolutely relish that situation. If you if you offer them that situation now, they would take it. And, it, and if it gets to that situation where they just need a goal, wouldn't wouldn't totally surprise me. But I, I just question, based on what they've done so far in the first two games, whether they're capable of, of getting to that situation. We shall see. Ollie, thank you very much. Jack, thanks for coming on once again. Um, we'll have much more build up to that England against Wales game. So much more in The Athletic to read for you, including Rafa Honigstein's piece on Nicholas Fulkrug, uh, which uh, Jack's going to have tattooed in its entirety on his back by the end of the tournament. Uh, John Muller's been writing on Brazil without Neymar. And another strong suggestion to read that uh, beautiful piece by Paul Tenorio on football, love, loss, and his, uh, his father, uh, which I point you in the direction of. Uh, for much more on those stories, uh, the most comprehensive World Cup coverage around, you can subscribe to The Athletic for £1 per month for 12 months. It's our best offer of the year. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod and we will be back with you from Doha tomorrow. The Athletic. <laughs>